The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Special crossover episode tonight. We're really excited to have Nick Stevens of The Verge, who is here uh, to talk baseball with us instead of football. We're going to talk about the top prospects in the Orioles minor league system. Nick, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Talk about some uh, Orioles minor league baseball here tonight. I appreciate having you. I appreciate you making the time. We may take a little while on this. Uh, baseball, my first love is in sports way back when. Uh, but we'll, we'll start by saying where can people find your material? 
Yeah, you can follow me at Nick Stevens R on Twitter. Uh, I'm one of three co-hosts of the On the Verge podcast. We're part of the BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com uh, network. So you can follow us on Twitter. Our, our show handle is at BSL on the Verge. Always tweeting out highlights, stats, anything you can think of about this Orioles minor league system. So give us a follow there. Yeah, it's a fun, fun thing. And uh, if, if you have MILB, and I don't, there's a subscription fee. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but it's fairly, it's fairly limited. It might be about 30 bucks for the whole season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun going around those games. You can watch all the games using the at-bat app that a lot of people are used to. Or if, if you uh, want to go to the video, a lot of the games have live feeds now. Yeah, and it's definitely growing this year. More teams have it. Delmarva added it this year for the first time. They haven't had it since I started watching intently the last four or five years or so. Uh, so, yeah, all four. Aberdeen does have a feed now. They don't have an announcer, uh, but it's kind of just natural sounds of the ballpark if you enjoy that. But, yeah, you can watch all camera or they have multiple cameras in Aberdeen. I, I want to say they do have multiple camera angles. Which is weird because you know, they don't have the, the announcers in broadcast this year, but... Yeah, you can watch all four affiliates and most of all of their home games and most of their road games, too. So it's definitely worth every penny. By the way, I don't know what it, uh, it, whoever wants to be a baseball broadcaster out there. But if you're not bugging the Aberdeen Ironbirds to try and be their play by play guy right now, you're, you're wasting an opportunity to get free. Jump right in there. Get something on your resume. It's a, it's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, we, we need it. And so many people are watching these guys. Like, you, you're going to get your name out there for sure. Yeah, one of them, one of the guys just got promoted to the major league level, too, from the minors for the Orioles. So that's a real big move for them. It's not the normal way of it. In fact, uh, I have a friend from, I went to Syracuse to study sports broadcasting originally. And, and uh, one of the guys I went to school with was Dan Horde. And Dan uh, is the voice of the Bengals now, but, but he was doing the Chiefs game at the time. Very smart to jump right in and do that. I think he was making $10 a game or something silly like that. It wasn't, it wasn't any, any kind of significant money. But uh, he also traveled long distances to to do the Paw Sox game, even though he was a big TV guy in Cincinnati, and he would he would travel to do the Pawtucket Paw Sox game because that was like the Triple A of announcing to get to the major leagues. And then he never got the Reds job, but he did get the Bengals job at least. I, I bet he saw a lot of future Reds though yeah. back when they were minor leaguers, at least. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's jump right into this. So we're talking about the Orioles prospects. We're, we're going to go uh, team by team through this. We'll start at AAA Norfolk. Nick, lead us off here. Yeah, Norfolk, um, it's a tough year. Uh, this AAA roster is usually not one of the more uh, notable rosters when you look at the Orioles minor league system. But uh, Norfolk ties this year a lot of top prospects. Uh, I think they started the year with eight of their top 30 prospects on this roster. That number's actually grown now. Um, the big guys like Ali Rutschman and D.L. Hall aren't up there yet, but you still have some guys like Jemai Jones uh, playing extremely well down there. Uh, guys, Orioles fans, even if you don't follow the minor leagues, uh, Orioles fans are familiar with Zach Lothar, a guy who's had some experience up in the major leagues right now. He's working through some things right now in AAA. Uh, he's settling in, had a couple good outings recently. Uh, and then I think just some bullpen. There's some veteran bullpen arms on there as well, guys working through. Um, it's a good group. It's a competitive group. They're winning more ball games, which is fun to see. And I think there are a long list of guys on this roster that Orioles fans are probably going to see at the major league level in a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, these, these are guys that they're familiar with because most of the pitching staff has already had a cup of coffee at the major league level. So a lot of those guys are option guys who've been up and down Eshelman. And I, I, I got to be actually looking at the roster to do this, but Lothar is in that group. And uh, Kramer was back down for a little bit this year, right? And uh, we could go through the pitching staff, but it's mostly guys who've had it. It also goes some of the off on the offensive side, not Jemai Jones. He hasn't been up yet for the first time, but Phil Nevin and uh, uh, Wilkerson has been up and down a little bit this year. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's others that I'm just forgetting for right now. Uh, Cisco. Uh, perhaps would be another good example, uh, but but it is a it's, it's more of a transitional roster to me in terms of a guy of guys who are used on the option transfer list using their options uh, their option years to move up and down, uh, particularly to supplement the Orioles pitching staff. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the pitching, like, like you mentioned, Zach Lothar for sure, and also when you look at like kind of the top prospects here, also it's it's guys who you know. They're not guys like Grace Rodriguez and D.L. Halls that we're looking to kind of anchor the starting rotation at the major league level in a couple years. I mean, Zach Lothar's a guy who I think if you put him in the bullpen at the major league level, I've said on our show plenty of times that I think he could be a, a solid short inning relief arm. Um, you do have, you mentioned Tom Eshelman. He's back up in the major leagues, pitched really well against uh, over the weekend uh, in that game. Um, there's also guys like Connor Green, who a highly touted prospect, a former top 100 prospect. Uh, just walks have been a big issue with him, but this is a guy who, again, if the Orioles are looking for bullpen help, Connor Green could be an option. And you've got a big guy now down there, Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish is, is yeah. one of the biggest rising prospects in this entire system. No, he's uh, he's certainly moved up again. I, I British has not pitched that well at AAA, right? And his overall this year has not been that great. I got to go back to it here, make sure I'm looking at the same thing. Yeah, he's got. A, he was his yeah. twenty innings at AAA with a four fifty ERA. Mm -hmm. uh, his WHIP has been high this year. His strikeouts for his minor league career have been good, but he's also going to be twenty five in September. Now, pitcher, I can accept that. A little bit later in terms of development is fine. Uh, with hitter, I, I, I really would have a lot of trouble with that in terms of, of still plugging this guy as a top yeah. prospect. Yeah, and 2020 kind of throws a wrench into a lot of this with some guys. Um, certainly, there are a few guys for sure that you look at their age and where they're at now. There are some guys in double A. You could probably say that too. And you say, yeah, they're hitting the ball well, but look at their age, even with 2020. Um, it, it's hard to imagine them kind of contributing at the next level. Radish, though, he's a guy who, yeah, the strikeouts are good. 24 strikeouts in 20 innings, like you mentioned there. And the whip, walks have always been an issue with this guy. Going back to his college days, he had a recent interview where he talked about that. Uh, that's kind of his biggest focus right now. And and this is, he, he fits at AAA. He belongs there. But, yes, there have been some bumps in the road. His last outing, he failed to make it out of the second inning um, against Durham. It's a lot of top prospects there. Future raise guys. Um so he's definitely had his ups and downs, but like you mentioned, this is a good transition roster, and this, these are guys who, if they're going to spend some time in AAA and work out the kinks, and you know the Orioles unfortunately aren't in a position right now to, to compete at the major league level, so you can afford guys like Bradish. I think that that full year to just kind of sit there, bake a little bit, uh, learn learn from guys like Zach Lothar, who's been up and down. They can learn from each other as well, and and see what happens. Maybe at the end of the year they get call ups. I don't know the end of the season roster. I don't know what. Usually you see in September 1st, those those big call-ups, all those roster call-ups, expanded rosters. I don't know if they're what the plan is this year with all of that, but 
certainly a, not, a lot of names on this Norfolk roster that Orioles fans are going to become familiar with if they're not already familiar with them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, they frankly, they need to either move up or move out, uh, some of them. I, the, the, one of the things that the, it's a problem, obviously, at the major league level is the second base situation. But at the, in the medium and low minors, the Orioles have a glut of middle infielders that they're having a hard time getting on the field at the same time. And we'll come back. We'll come back to that when he gets to those teams. But at the at the at the AAA level, they have Jemai Jones, who's uh, a mm-hmm. second baseman, uh, is hitting well. Uh, he'll be 24 in August. This would be a year to have him up. The Orioles must be obviously primarily concerned about starting the clock on him. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that seems to be you know that's the business of Major League Baseball. It seems like right now, and something I think is going to come to a head here at the end of the season of new CBA negotiations and all of that. But yeah, Jones is hitting really well. He did get hurt, missed a couple weeks there. Him and uh, Yusniel Diaz both got injured the first series or two of the season. Uh, but he's back in Norfolk. I think if you go back to his pre-injury, he's got a 10 or 11 game hitting streak uh, with the Tides right now. The one thing uh, I know Mike Elias has said in a couple interviews why Jemai Jones is still down in AAA is because of the defense. And I watch a lot of Norfolk Tides games, grew up right in, in Norfolk, right outside Norfolk. So... Their team near and dear to my heart and watch a lot of tides every night. And the defense is is a little shaky there with Jemai Jones. So you can understand why he's down. But this is a guy who they traded uh, Alex Cobb to get Jemai Jones, which I think was a a good deal. Could end up being a good deal. Uh, But he has AAA experience. Uh, He was with the alt site with the Angels last year. He was up with the Angels major league roster last year. So I think, like you mentioned, the guy's trying to move up or move on. I think Jemiah Jones is kind of reaching that point down there with Norfolk. Yeah, I mean, he's got a 432 on base percentage this year, and he's slugging 590. He's being held back at this point. Yeah. I, you know, they did it with it for an entire season with Mountcastle. Uh, you know, they, they're doing it right now with Rutschman, I believe. I mean, he's, he's a guy who certainly is better than what they have at the major league level. In fact, he's probably better than just about what anybody has a catcher right now at the major league level. Uh, and the Orioles, unfortunately, are in a position where it doesn't make sense for them to bring him up. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you about that catching uh, when you look at the, the landscape of major league baseball. And certainly, yeah, I mean, when we talk about Bowie, you look at Rutschman's numbers, they're they're off the charts. They're phenomenal uh, for a catcher. You don't, you don't imagine, when you look at the catching position, a guy like Pedro Severino's 2020 season was well above average uh, in terms of you know major league catching production. Adley Rutschman could could match that easily right now tomorrow if the Orioles needed him to. Right, and uh, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to go back to Jemai Jones for a minute because he is kind of representative mm-hmm. of something that's going on throughout the minor league system since Elias arrived. Is the organization has really converted back to being a walks are the thing that we're really going to look for in players. And, and you notice this because the, the bottom three teams uh, are all among the league leaders in walks and on base percentage in their respective leagues. And it's, it's like first, second, third, I think, in both categories for all three teams. Yeah, that's it's I mean, it, it doesn't make for maybe the most fun games with guys drawing walks. They have a guy in the lower minors, Anthony Servideo, yes. 2020 draft Glenn pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this guy was walking like two or three times per game. Uh, but yeah, Jemai Jones is is doing that. And I mean, I guess you see a guy like Ryan Mountcastle just really struggle uh, to draw walks. Mm-hmm. Anthony Santander up at the major league level right now, his walk rate, you know, is like two or three percent. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to get guys on base. Yeah. Uh, you get Jemai Jones at the bottom of that order at the major league level. He gets on base. 
next year, maybe, hopefully, praying uh, there. Uh, this lineup is a little bit better. Um, you get those power hitters behind them. That's how you're going to score runs. That's how you're going to win games. And so it's it's good to see at least the, the small progression, small step we're taking. One of the things I like to talk about this, in the golden age, of course, I was an Oriole fan starting in 71. But the 68 to 85 Orioles won, had winning seasons for 18 consecutive years. It just boggles the mind to think that that, that could have been done, even uh, with a lot of that being done prior to free agency or some of it. But the, they, they had a lot of different teams during, during that era. And they did have Earl Weaver for most of it. But they had power teams. They even had a speed team in 1973. They certainly had great pitchers. Pitching teams, even when the ballpark was considered, but they had one common factor: they outwalked their opponents every single one of those 18 years, and by an average of 108, sorry, 109 per season. So that's two thirds of a walk per game. I mean, the, the dynasty was really built on it, and they, they've gotten away from it in so many ways. And I, I, I get almost tired of going out to websites and hearing the apologists for the walk rate of the major league team. It's completely unacceptable. And, and fortunately, I think Elias has really done a lot to turn that around with his picks the last few years. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's rough. You, this three true outcome era of baseball, yeah. it, it is really tough to watch. I mean, it's, it's strikeouts. It's fun if you like pitching. I enjoy pitching. Mm-hmm. I love a good pitcher's duel, but I don't want to go watch that every single night, 1-0 games, 2-0 games. Like, I want to see some offense. And yeah, you got to get on base, though, to, to generate this offense. And the Orioles are starting that. And, you know, look at those teams, too. I, I don't have those stats in front of me right now, but I would guess that teams like Delmarva and Aberdeen are going to find themselves near the top of the league and run scored and, and run differential oh, yeah. as well. So, sure. <laughs> I mean, you can tell from their record in a lot of ways that they're that they're yeah. very well. Um, you know, here's here's my thing about this. I, I wouldn't mind 1968 baseball if there was truly a contrast of style available, meaning you could have a speed team, you could have a power team, you could win with a pitching team or a walk team, you could you could tailor your ballpark and win by that. Uh, all, all of the, if that exists, I don't have a problem with, with the numbers being wherever they are in terms of relative offense to, to the history of baseball. My problem with the, with the three outcome game is it's boring as hell when the only style that seems to be embraced by anybody is the let's hit as many home runs as we can and it's too easy for the big money teams to dominate so i hate that and uh and i I, you know the orioles they're never going to get it right until they get back to the walk is the cornerstone of the franchise yeah i mean just look at the other get the other day was it saturday they hit six home runs and and they still lose the ball game yeah like come on i mean Get on base. Draw some hits. Play some small ball. I know people don't love it, but I mean, that's, that's how you go to win games. I, I completely agree with you there. The other, the other thing about it is I actually think the drama of baseball is based on the walk more than anything. I mean, what what we what is dramatic to baseball fans, at least people as old as me, and I'm 58 now, um, is that people, you know, you, you, you have the pressure mounting through additional base runners that you're working towards on a consistent basis. It's like, it's almost like you're watching a drive in football to watch it in bat in baseball. It just, you know, it, it, it takes a, an inning takes longer. I'm sorry. A drive takes longer than an inning. Um, but, but it's still, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, uh, mounting pressure of the walk that I really find to be interesting. Yeah, and look at, I mean, talking about Adley Rutschman, I mean, before going into the draft, and right after the Orioles drafted him, 
uh, you think about what is the one play from his college tape that really stands out? Intentional it's Adley Rushman drawing bases loaded walks. Yeah, I mean, it's, he had, he had a bases it's, loaded it's, intentional walk at at one point yeah. in the college World Series. Yeah. That was that was amazing. Yeah, and I think they they actually went yeah. on to lose that game. That strategy ended up basically being working. Or no, maybe the strategy didn't work, but they won the game anyway. Yeah. Meaning that whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. A couple of the guys I want to ask you about. Domingo Leyva uh, mm-hmm. acquired. Uh, t- tell me what you know about him. Uh, yeah, former, actually highly rated prospect when he was with the Diamondbacks. I think he was high as number six on their top 30 prospects list a couple of years ago. Uh, he was up in the major leagues recently with Arizona and is 0 for like 22, 0 for 23. Not great. I mentioned on our show when we talked about Leyva briefly that Arizona just fired their hitting coach and their assistant hitting coach. I mean, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for Arizona, like Bal- the reason Baltimore isn't just the complete laughing stock of Major League Baseball right now is because the Diamondbacks are there, are much worse, and without this younger prospect capital coming up through the system. Uh, but Leba, since coming over, I mean, he's hit really well. He has a grand slam uh, in one of his first games. He has four home runs in 11 games right now for Norfolk. Um, can play multiple positions as well. This is a, a utility guy that I think he has major league experience. He's been in the minor leagues for a long time. And when you look at the Orioles major league roster right now, I don't see why you know Jemiah Jones should be starting at second base right now. And Leba isn't one of your utility guys off the bench. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he's a switch hitter as well. So this is certainly definitely definitely someone that can provide value. And he's, he's 25. I mean, yeah, it's time. He's got to give him a shot. Move on or move up or move on, frankly, and, and uh, play in a position like that where, you know, the Orioles, frankly, have some guys playing shortstop right now who I think might end up at third base. We'll talk a little bit about that, but hey, he can't hold that position forever. That's for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, Domingo Labo, uh, Brett Cumberland, the catcher. He'll be 26 uh, in what four days now. Uh, still a guy who can help the major league team, maybe. Yeah, we talk about him a lot because of the bat. He's he's got a big bat. He gets on base. He's always drawn walks all throughout his minor league career. He's got some pop. He can hit some home runs as well. Um, I don't know how much of an average he's going to hit for at the major league level. And the defense is definitely a big question mark. It's not his calling card, not his strength for sure. Uh, But the bat is there. And I think someone in in small samples, I think this could be someone that you look at the major league roster now. He's definitely Brett Cumberland is definitely an upgrade over what they have right now. Is it, he'd be a guy anyway you could have at the major league level, bring him off the bench if you needed to, have him as your second catcher, and hopefully it wouldn't embarrass you too badly. Uh, but it's got yeah, exactly, exactly. on base percentage at AAA, and I look down, I see that, and I'm like, okay, we don't have anybody anywhere close to that at the major league level. You know, what's going on here? So, uh, all right. Um, and then the guy who's kind of regressed this year, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, oh, the two really, Ryland Bannon is having a tough year, and Mason McCoy. Um, those guys, you know, in terms of my look at them, 25, 26 years old, are, are probably off the prospect list at this point. Either one of those guys you still have hope for? Bannon a little bit. I thought he would compete for the third base job uh, before they signed Franco, uh, before the season started. Um he hit pretty well in Bowie last year, or 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I view him more as a second baseman. He plays third base down in Norfolk, but uh, the defense plays a lot better at second base. The arm is a little scary. can be a little bit scary over at third base, but you mentioned yeah, the numbers. He's struggling. He hasn't hit it well. He's on the IL right now because he has an oblique injury. Um, it, it looked pretty nasty. He swung the bat. This was a couple of weeks ago now. He's been on the shelf. He swung the bat 
and immediately just went straight to the clubhouse, just bypassed everybody. He knew it. Um, Mason McCoy, same same thing. He's just he was hot for a while, and now like he's hitting 217 right now. He's been ice cold. Uh, they've tried to move him in the outfield as well, but again, he's, he's made a couple errors, third base, shortstop. He's struggling with the glove as well and the bat, and it's it's been tough to watch him because I thought that was definitely be a guy that the Orioles could put up, put on the bench. If you need a run, a late inning runner, uh, pinch runner, or if you need a late inning glove to help protect the lead, McCoy could have been that guy, but I just don't think the bat's there for him. Right. I mean, honestly, with McCoy, <laughs> you know, just thinking along the defensive spectrum, if you move that guy to the right of the defensive spectrum, if you make him an outfielder, you reduce any chance of him having value because yeah. he's, he's not a great on-base yeah. percentage guy. Obviously, if he's 217, nobody is, unless you're Glenn Gulliver or Cervadeo. <laughs> but, but if you're, uh, uh, you know, with, with McCoy, if he plays shortstop or second base, he's got a chance to to you know be more of a Bill Ripken guy. But he's got to he's got to develop with a glove in order for that to happen. I'd agree. And and uh, at 25, there just comes a time when you got to cut bait. And uh, unfortunately, COVID stacked up with an injury year is not the way to go uh, for for some of these guys. All right, I think we've talked about enough. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tom. No, I, just, I agree with McCoy. I, I, I don't think he's with the organization next year, if I'm being completely honest there. Right. I mean, they, they obviously have a big stack of middle infielders that they've got to promote. Uh, let's, let's go down to double A, where there is a lot of excitement about the roster there. A, a broad set of prospects, including some have been bounced down, some have been recently bounced up, uh, promoted there. But uh, we start with the big man, Adley Rutschman, who's had you know a huge year, frankly, at Bowie, is leading the league, in a, or, or uh, close to the league lead, I should say, in a lot of categories. Categories. Yeah, you really can't ask for much more out of Adley Rutschman. I mean, he's got 34 walks in 40 games. He gets on base. He's hitting 450-foot home runs. I, I was in Richmond a couple weeks ago to watch him uh, just demolish the baseball. It left completely left the stadium, left the parking lot out in right field over there at the Diamond in Richmond. Um, he had a couple plays over the weekend on Sunday when he caught Grayson Rodriguez's start couple plays there, just a recent outing behind the plate. I mean, the movements, strike him out, throw him out. He threw two guys out in that game. The footwork is impeccable. The arm is strong. One thing that one of my co-hosts, Bob Phelan, noted uh, early on, very early when one of his first starts is after every single inning, once that third out is made, Rutschman jumps up and immediately runs over to that mound, mm -hmm. uh, puts his arm around the pitcher, and they're talking all the way back to the dugout. I mean, it's the, the, that leadership, those intangibles as well are off the charts. You mentioned earlier about, you know, why is he still in double A? Um, I think that's uh, one of the, the biggest questions right now a lot of Orioles fans have. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing I love about Rutschman so far in the minor leagues is he's not given up on plate discipline. It's the thing that's going to hear me talk about walks a lot on this episode. It's unavoidable here because I'm, I'm so ardent about this. But as long as he maintains that, he's going to be fine as a hitter. Whereas Matt Wieters, that did become a problem at the major league level. He, he, Wieters had other bat speed issues that were, that were getting him in trouble, but, but I don't think that's going to be exactly the issue for Rutschman. I think he's going to just maintain plate discipline. And that means more, obviously, than just swinging only at strikes. It means also laying off some strikes that, that are just not the right pitch for you. Yeah, and, and he's doing that. Guys aren't, I mean, there have been a few instances where guys are clearly pitching around him. Uh, they don't want to give him strikes to swing at. Uh, but he's there have been a lot of times close calls, and he's he's confident up there at the plate. He knows that strike zone inside and out, and he's not going to swing at a bad pitch. He rarely does. And even when you throw him strikes, I was looking earlier at some numbers. 
he has the second lowest uh, swinging strike rate uh, among all Orioles hitters in this minor league system. So wow. he is not missing. If you throw him strikes, he is not missing. I mean, it's like five or six percent, which is phenomenal number. Just getting to my next question, with which is, are you concerned about the strikeouts at all? Now, he's a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk yeah. ratio. That's all, that's fantastic for anybody. But it's that's really yeah, a yeah. very high walk rate. Mm-hmm more than it's due to an Damn. exceptionally good strikeout rate. He has struck out 34 times in 147. Yeah, a big chunk of those did come very early on in the season. So, I mean, you're, you're getting back used to the grind again. You're getting used to playing actual real games uh, since he did have a minor league season as well. And very limited minor league games in 2019. They shuffled him between three levels pretty quickly. Uh, so I think a lot of that was just settling in. And the strikeouts have definitely decreased lately. So I think that's that's a positive sign there. The average is going way up. On base percentage is going way up. He's really starting to just put it all together out there on the, at the plate. All right. So we, we expect him, hopefully, I mean, do you think it's, it's going to be this time next year when they avoid the Super 2 or Super 3, whatever the rule is, for arbitration? Yeah. That if, if assuming yeah, the I, I'd say... Yeah, I mean, yeah. If the rules are the same, I would say, unfortunately, yes. I mean, is I know every fan hates it, mm-hmm. uh, but unfortunately, I think that's just that's what the Orioles are going to do. I mean, I don't see them giving him a Fernando Tatis Jr. type contract this offseason. So, I think he's going to be. I think we got another year before we see him up at the major league level. One year, like it, since it ended this this week for Wanda Franco, you're saying mm-hmm. next year how they recognize the delayed man of the major. Yep. All right, a bunch of other players I want to talk about on the on the double A roster because it is really packed. But the next one is Doran Turchin. He'll be 24 in just a couple of weeks. Here, hot recently, another lot lot of walks guy, uh, outfielder. Uh, what do you think about him? It's surprising. I mean, he's hit those five home runs he hit all came within like a, a week, two week span, and he. Got per- I think he started the year in Aberdeen, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't believe he started the year in Bowie. But once Bowie put him in that lineup, he was back at number eight, number nine hitter. Not hitting well, but hitting the ball hard. He, when he I mentioned I was at Aberdeen, just to do this. He was at okay. Marva to start the year and got, but got promoted to Bowie. Okay. So normally you see guys like that. We've seen it with a few other guys, too, that... Like a JC Encarnacion, who a lot of people had high hopes for, moved up quickly, kind of like an organizational guy. He's going to fill some spots, and then they're going to cut him. I don't think that's the case with Turchin. The power is legit. When I watched the series in Richmond, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of offense outside that Ali Richmond home run, but Turchin hit the ball extremely hard, and he looks very confident out there on the mound. He's a college hitter out of the Big Ten. Uh, this is this is a guy who's definitely rising up uh, and hitting the ball well and finding a home, and you see... One thing I like that the Orioles have been quick to do with their buoy hitters is that when they're hot and they're hitting the ball well, they're not afraid to move them up in the middle of that order. They'll put Turchin right behind Adley Rutschman. Uh, so they're giving these guys an opportunity to, to stay hot and make a name for themselves down there, and Turchin's taken advantage of it so far. Yeah, they got a ton of high on-base percentage guys at the top of that lineup, and some lesser hitters are really picking up some uh, unusual RBI totals, including, uh, is it Newstrom is the guy who was leading the team in RBIs? 
Yep. Okay. Robert Newstrom. So, you know, that's not that's not a top hitting prospect by any by any means. No. Let's let's move on. Yosniel Diaz is now back at double A. Um, he started the year triple A, did hit a home run there. I've tweeted something it was his first home run of the year. It was his first home run of the year at Bowie. Um, but but it was nice to see that happen. Uh, he's twenty five now, uh, on te- on October seventh. It's really time. Now, I don't care what their rules are. This is probably a good time to get Yasniel Diaz in the major leagues if you think he's really ready. May not be. He's so tough. I mean, you. I think a lot of Orioles fans, we talk about prospect fatigue a lot. Uh, guys just, you get tired of hearing Yasniel Diaz and all the potential, and then he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of a, the minor league version of Austin Hayes down there for Bowie and Norfolk. Uh, but the tools are all there. He can hit. He's got power. He's got an extremely strong arm out there in right field. We ca- we talked about this on the show. I can't remember if we talked about it on our show tonight or if it was kind of pre-show talk banter between ourselves. But I- I've seen other Orioles fans mention this, and I agree with this. I think Yusniel Diaz, he's back in Norfolk, like you mentioned. If he gets hot over the next two, three weeks... I think you need to bring him up to Baltimore at this point and give him that opportunity because, I mean, he spent the Manny Machado trade was, what, three years ago now at this point, almost four years ago. Um, Put him in the lineup every day in Norfolk. If he stays hot, bring him up. Let's see what he's got because there are plenty of other outfielders coming up through the system as well. And Diaz, is he's not getting any younger. He's not getting any healthier. So you got to see what this guy's got. Right. And I agree. I don't, I don't think it makes sense. I also don't think he's a good enough prospect that you have to wait any further than you have right now. So I think you go ahead and make that move. Uh, Johnny Reiser, uh, a guy 25 now in November in his case. So he and Diaz are basically the same age. He's a month younger. Uh, He's left-handed hitter, outfielder, fast and very hot right now. He's a hitter. I mean, ever since the Orioles drafted him, I think I want to say he was like one of those senior sign guys, uh, mid-round draft pick, close around round six through 10 range. A guy that he's not a top prospect, not a guy you probably expect to make a lot of noise at the major league level, but every level the Orioles have put Johnny Reiser at, he's hit the ball really well. Uh, He does have speed. He can play, I think, all three outfield positions. Bowie's playing him a lot in center field, which you like to see, and he's had a couple gaffes. He he was uh, one of Grayson Rodriguez's home runs that he gave up on Sunday was an inside-the-park home run, which should have been an out that Reiser just couldn't track down and dropped, but... um, yeah, this guy hits. This guy hits a lot, just every single level. Like I mentioned, he's not walking. Yeah, that's Let's talk about the walk rate. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> we, one thing. But he's, he's hitting 311, 368 on base to go with that. I'm not an apologist for that because I think eight walks in 132 at-bats, if you project that to the major league levels, is going to get him in trouble. I think mm-hmm. major league pitchers are going to make him miss more and, and take more bad chances with a low walk rate like that. Yeah, I think Riser I view is kind of how I viewed Cedric Mullins a couple years ago. And I, I'm not saying at all that Johnny Riser is going to end up becoming Cedric Mullins that we're seeing this year, but a kind of guy that he's a guy maybe you keep around in AAA for a couple years, a guy maybe you put at the end of your bench uh, if he keeps hitting uh, AAA pitching. Uh, and he's got the speed out there that you can put late innings if you want to take a guy like Eusenio Diaz out uh, in right field or left field late in the game, put some more speed in the outfield. Riser is a guy who I think the bat can be good enough 
to get you a few key base hits off the bench at the major league level. I, I make a distinction between those two, and not because of Mullins' great year this year, but Mullins was at Bowie at 22. And he was, when you're at Bowie at 22, you're right on track for being a good hitter at the major league level. If you're there much later than that, and Rutschman, obviously, there are extenuating circumstances. Other players this year who were 23, I consider those circumstances extenuating. But you know, you're not going to be a great hitter if you're still at double A at 23 most of the time. And there's just very few yeah. that, that come out. It, it, you know, the economics of baseball change things a little bit. I still think it's fairly rare that, that you, you get to the major leagues uh, you know, that late when you're a great hitter. You, Manny Machado is a good example of a guy who, you know, you, you just don't wait on that. Wander Franco, you know, Vlad, uh, you know, so many now that, that uh, you know, you, you really, uh, you got to be up still earlier. Yeah, and, and Riser and Riser is that same group that I would put like Robert Newstrom in as well. Like you just mentioned him, uh, and even Doran Turchin. These are guys that they're not going to be on any top prospect list. They're not major league starters, I think, in their future, but they can be role players at least. And when you look at this minor league system a few years ago, I started really diving in and following these guys and covering these guys and talking to them. Uh, 2014, 2015. And a guy like Robert Newstrom or Johnny Reiser would have been a top 15 prospect, wow. top 10 prospect <laughs> in this system. Right. Like it was, it was that bad. I mean, one of the top pitching prospects, first top pitching prospects I remember writing about, a guy named Joe Gunkel. He's in Japan now. Yeah. I mean, he, he flamed out in Double A. Like that's that guy was top 10 prospect in the system. He wouldn't crack the top 100 in the system, to be totally honest. So. That's oh, great. It's great. The system's in great shape. Let's move on, if we can, to this middle infield depth. Mm -hmm. and, and at Bowie, where they really have some problems getting three guys on the field. They got, they got a guy injured, hurt right now. But uh, Terran Vavra uh, is 24. Vavra, I guess, is correct. Left-handed hitter. He's hurt. Another guy with great plate discipline. Yeah, this, this was the guy. I think this is the main piece you want to look at in the Michael Givens trade with Colorado last year. This is a guy who's he's exciting. They've been playing him at center field, too, some in Bowie. But I think this is a guy they need to stick at second base. Yep. And you find out this year, find out next year if Jemai Jones is the answer, long a longer-term answer at second base at the major league level. If not, you got a guy in Taron Vavra right behind him who's going to be ready to take his job. Um, I think it was just kind of like a back injury. They wanted him to work through, but... I don't think it was anything serious, just body couldn't hold up right now. Getting used to playing every single day again. Bowie's a competitive team. Um, these guys are going out there, playing hard every single night. So it happens. Uh, but Vavra, the glove is really good. Uh, the bat's hot. He gets on base at a super high clip. Uh, he's got a little bit of speed, a couple stolen bases to his credit right now. This is a guy who is definitely rising up the boards and I think could end up being a top 10 prospect in this system yeah, he's, he's uh, by the end of the year. One of the guys you look at, and, and Mullins maybe isn't the perfect leadoff hitter in terms of, first of all, he's got some power, but second of all, he doesn't have the greatest on base percentage for a leadoff hitter. He's, he's good in a year where he's hitting 320. That's not going to be a problem. In a year where it's 280, we're going to see. But a, a, a guy like Vavra could be that guy. I mean, a 413 on base percentage at Bowie. We've got Jemai Jones has got a similar one at AAA. They've got some real prospects for the top of the order now, uh, you know, to, to get these innings started and to, to, to create some offensive juice at the major league level. Yeah, you look at his Favre's entire minor league career numbers. I mean, he has 176 games, he's got 135 strikeouts and 112 walks. So almost a one to one there across yeah. his entire minor league career. 407 on-base percentage, that's going to translate, uh, I think, when he gets to the major league level as well. He's a pretty patient hitter. He's been a smart hitter from what I've seen. 
Uh, he's got the bloodlines, uh, so I, I really like this guy, and I think he's someone that Orioles fans maybe aren't as well aware of right now, but by the end of the year, as long as he can stay healthy, this is a guy who's going to be a hot name to watch for sure. Yeah, college prospect now. Now, here's an important thing. You, you like to see players who are promoted every year. If they're promoted in season, that's even better, but at least you want to see them promoted every year. And so he started in, in short season A, where most prospects do start, or started in the old system. Let's put it that way. Now they've got you know four teams. They're going to have some prospect league, but 2019, he moved up to full season A, so that'd be like advanced, or sorry, like a, a low A used to be, like where Demar used to be. And then 2020, um, they didn't play, but he double jumped in 21 to get to Bowie, which means he's kept on on schedule despite COVID with his career. That's that's pretty unusual. Yeah. You don't see a lot of prospects who are able to do that. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes for the type of player that he is. Uh, and there might have been a few guys, specifically maybe some 2020 draft picks, that I think Orioles fans could look at and say their initial assignments where the Orioles placed them in the system was probably a little low to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy like Vavra, I think, was, you know, they said, hey, go out in double A. You're going to be our leadoff hitter. You're going to play second base. Mm-hmm. And let's challenge you. And he's fully lived up to that challenge. I, I don't think, I think when you look at the Major League roster, if Jemai Jones gets called up hopefully soon, uh, we're, we're chomping at the bit out of the three of us that are on the verge. Uh, soon as Vavra's healthy and he's back on the field, I don't see why he's not up in AAA uh, by the All-Star break, to be totally honest. Yeah. I say a lot of Rutschman's fine season has been getting good pitches to hit because the guys in front of him are drawing walks, and Vavra certainly has been a, a big part of that, and so have some other players. Uh, other people still cramming up that middle infield situation at A. Joseph Ortiz, who was, who was promoted, um, and uh, he'll be 23 on July 14th. Am I correct about that, or did he start the year at A? Joseph Ortiz. Uh, he started in high A with Aberdeen. So he's been promoted. But wasn't there for very long. Yeah. And, and hopefully he's there to stay. I, know, I noticed recently they hadn't been playing him every day. I don't know if he's dealing with some small injury yeah. or not. Uh, but uh, definitely a prospect. Uh, played better at high A than he, than he has hit so far at Bowie this year. Yeah, he did. I, I was watching that game that he took his late eighth or ninth inning. He took a big swing and immediately grabbed his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You could tell he was in some pain. Struck out. He swung on the next pitch, next pitch, struck out, but stayed in the game. But he hasn't really played much since then. So I, I think he's he's okay. He's not on the IL. He was came in as a pinch runner on Sunday, I believe. Uh, so I think he's just probably working through some soreness right now. But yeah, this is a guy that um, Orioles director of player development, Matt Blood, came out before the season started and noted Joey Ortiz as the guy that uh, we're all going to be talking about. He was the prospect to watch in a MLB pipeline piece. They quoted Matt Blood as saying, because he didn't really hit the ball very well in the lower minors in 2019. And this year, he came on Aberdeen just on fire, hitting the ball well, getting on base, got a little bit of power, showing that in Bowie as well. Uh, he's kind of living up to the billing so far. Um, he's a adjusting in double a still but he's only has 15 games under his belt there but yeah this is just another one like you mentioned these long list of middle infield guys and you've got 15 16 year olds down who are going to start the year in the dominican summer league that the orioles are paying a million bucks to that we're not even going to talk about probably because they're so far down the road but that's how deep the system is becoming. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys, they won't, they won't sniff the major league level until about six or seven years from now. Uh, Dominican Summer yeah. League players usually, because they start so damn young, I mean, they don't major in the major leagues before 22, 23 usually. 
Uh, there are exceptions, but but those are good. Mm-hmm. A real good progression for Ortiz. New York Penn League, uh, then an off year, and then he's played at eight at Advanced Day and Double A both in 2021. So he's made good progress. The Orioles obviously really believe in him uh, to have him moved up that quickly. And the glove. The glove is really good. He's made a number of fantastic plays at shortstop. And he's not one of these guys that they're moving around. They're sticking him at shortstop so far in Bowie. And he is just some magical, mm-hmm. to be totally honest. But I feel like I feel like on our show, we're we're pretty positive all the time on our show. And sometimes I feel like, you know, it's we're we're really watching games with these orange colored orange colored glasses a lot of the times. And but it's you know, these guys are, are performing really well. And a guy like Joey Ortiz, you know, even if I take those glasses off, this is a shortstop prospect uh, that I think Orioles fans can be excited about. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles have a lot of big bats, a lot of more Cal Ripken-type shortstops. I'll talk about it. They're more bat than glove, although Ripken certainly wasn't a bad fielder, at least early in his career. Uh, but but they but they have some guys uh, also who are, who are glove guys, and Ortiz leads that group. Uh, Caden Greiner, another guy playing a lot of shortstop, uh, was hitting just 151 on May 26. He's been very hot since then. Uh, cooled off just a little bit lately, but he's still hitting well. Yeah, this is a guy that I think a lot of us had on, on our show at least had written off as a guy we really weren't going to pay attention to this year just because of that middle infield depth and coming into the year, you look at his strikeout numbers, I mean, they were 35, yep. close to 40% strikeout numbers. Um, the glove is fantastic, uh, but he just wasn't hitting. And now, and actually, the Bowie broadcast has done a good job of noting this a few times that Grenier start, really started hitting well when they promoted Joey Ortiz to double A. Uh, and he's continued that hot streak. He's a veteran guy. He's an older guy, came from Oregon State, was teammates with Adley Rutschman down there. Uh, and this is a guy who realizes, I think, that people are coming up through the system. They're coming for his job. And he's not letting uh, a guy like Joey Ortiz take that job very easily. And that's it's a great problem that the Orioles are having on their hands right now. Yeah, you, you mentioned the strikeouts, and, and they've been a big problem throughout his career, but 138 strikeouts and 385 at-bats in 2019. This year, still 44 out of 134, so that's almost a third of the time he's striking out. He had, was a little bit higher than that in yeah. 2019. I say, in, in terms of the 44 and 134, he's hitting 284 in 2021. I say that's a good developmental opportunity if he was about three years younger. But if, if you know, mm-hmm. at this age... You, you, he should have already realized a lot of his ability to cut his strikeout rate as he gets a little bit older and put his batting average and ball in play on more balls uh, to be effective. When you have a hitter like Frank Thomas and he's up and he's striking out and still hitting 300, fantastic. You know, sky's the limit for a guy like that in terms of how he might uh, adapt his game. Uh, with Caden Greiner, I don't think you can, you, can, you can put that much additional progression in terms of his cutting strikeout ratio and turning that into meaningful hits. No, I think that's who he is. I don't think that's going to change. But at least he is hitting the ball a little bit more than what he was. And so maybe instead of now you look at a guy like who's probably going to be released after the draft or by the end of the year, maybe now you look at him like, okay, the glove is really good. Mason McCoy is not really hitting the ball well in AAA or working out. Maybe Grenier is now the guy that he's your emergency shortstop down there at the AAA level with the Tides. And, and so it's... It's it's I like seeing guys like that at least, you know, resurrect themselves a little bit and, and give themselves at least another year in this organization to see to see what happens. You know, you never know. But it's it's fun to see these guys continue to progress even just a little bit. You know, we know he's probably never gonna reach the major leagues, 
but you know, he's starting to hit the ball a little bit well and something he wasn't doing in 2019. Some decent extra base pop there recently uh, in the last few weeks as well, particularly since since he hit his nader in terms of the 151 average. Let's let's move our attention over the pitching staff because the double A. Bowie pitching staff is the big prize other than Rutschman in the organization. And obviously, we have to start the discussion with Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than this guy is legit. <laughs> this is a he's the top pitching prospect in baseball now. Uh, and when you watch him, he was just dominant in high A. I don't know what other word to use there. He looked like he did not belong there at all. Um, it was it was good to see them go ahead and promote him to double A. And that transition, you hear a lot, and, and we've had some guys on our show, and I've talked to guys throughout over the last couple of years, and they'll tell you that arguably the toughest jump to make is that high A to double A jump in the minor leagues. Hmm. And Grayson Rodriguez is making that look really easy so far. Been a couple of bumps. He is getting hit a little bit hard at times. Uh, continues to give up the long ball a little bit. That's been a slight issue, but he's not walking guys. He's striking guys out. The whip is low. The average is low. Um He's got four good pitches that all play well, and he's throwing over 100, 101 miles an hour down there. Um, what? I think Orioles fans, I understand Orioles fans' hesitancy when you're talking about pitching prospects. Yes. We've been burned so many times. You, you look at Dylan Bundy, a recent example, uh, the prospect pedigree that that guy had, and now you look at him and where his career has fallen to. I think Orioles fans can start to become a little bit more confident with a guy like Grayson Rodriguez. This is someone who... We talk about on our show, you look at two years from now, 2023, starting rotation at the major league level, I see Grayson Rodriguez and John Means as two guys that you can really count on in this rotation. I mean, I, I, I really, we're going to talk about this with DL Hall a little bit more, but I really hate to project multiple years ahead for pitchers because the risks are so great, yeah. obviously, as opposed to hitters. Uh, but, but Rodriguez has done it all at the, at the minor league level. He's got, uh, among other things, he's got 68 strikeouts and 11 walks. A 6-1 to one strikeout to walk streak. I think, that'll, I think that'll play pretty much anywhere. A .79 whip, but one of the real impressive things that, that, that I really want to see out of pitchers at the lower level is that they're giving up a low rate of line drives. Now, one of the things you can look at, if you can look at fan graphs and other things, the average percentage of line drives in the major league level is about 21%. And when a major league hitter hits a line drive, they hit 685 on line drives. And they hit something like 245, 250 on fly balls. And no, it's the other way around. And and uh, and it's about two forty-five, two fifty on ground balls, and two twenty or something on on fly balls, but with a ton of isolated power. So it's a, a lot of that is in home mm -hmm. runs. So by the way, every every coach you ever had that told you to not uppercut, instead swing down on the ball, you could you can send them a postcard or give them a call <laughs> and tell them to go fuck themselves because. <laughs> <laughs> they were really not doing you a service, and, and you were better off just reading that book by Ted Williams that would have taught you how to hit. Wouldn't help me either way, but, but anyway. Yeah, the, uh, yeah same. Yeah, but uh, but uh, I, I, I did hear that a lot, and you know, people like uh, Williams and Mattingly have a, having a conversation about hitting, and, and, uh, and Williams asking, well, how many of your extra base hits came? When you were when you swung down on the ball, you know the season. Anyway, uh, uh, Rodriguez is, has only allowed seventeen line drives in all these levels. One of the things you know I look at is you know does a pitcher give up a line drive in terms of his tiring a game? Well, he's hardly allowed any the whole year. I mean, it's it's remarkable. 
Yeah, he he, just, he looks strong out there on the mound. He looks like he belongs at the top of our rotation, uh, to be totally honest. And something that I think a lot of people had questions about where, all right, can you get your off-speed pitches? What does this change-up look like? You know, you need that third pitch. You want four pitches, I think, at least, to be a dominant starter like Rodriguez projects to be. But, you know, how good is your change-up? And the change-up is it's phenomenal. Guys aren't hitting it. When he's able to throw... 100 miles an hour at the top of the zone, and then he's throwing change-ups and off-speed pitches low and away. The ground balls are piling up, and when the walks are rare, that they do happen, he's able to get back, refocus, attack, and something that D.L. Hall does very well himself, they're able to wipe those walks away with double play balls uh, at an alarming rate. It's just what it seems like watching these games. And so it's working there for Grayson Rodriguez. And we mentioned the coaching staff there at Bowie, the pitching coach Justin Ramsey, these guys are doing a phenomenal job with this entire staff at Bowie right now. Phenomenal job with some phenomenal talent, of course. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, fun to watch, that's for sure. Uh, one of the things that I like to compare and contrast in looking at Hall and Rodriguez's prospects is Rodriguez has had an amazing ability at the minor league level to get wins. That's very hard to do for starters in the minor leagues. If you start games, you generally don't win because it's very hard to go five innings. Now, it helps to have an offense like Bowie behind him, but if you don't go five innings, you don't get a win in the minors. Same as in the majors. And with the really restrictive pitch counts, um, you know he's just had a good urgency seemingly to keep his pitches per inning down and that's hard for a strikeout pitcher to do it's very hard for a pitcher like D.L. Hall where the strikeouts and walks are both very high and so even a guy like him who has gives up very few hits and this is the compare and contrast component he still has some problems with pitches per inning yeah Rodriguez is pretty good because you mentioned the pitch counts it seems like for at all levels the Orioles have been wanting to keep guys around 60 to 70 pitches uh-huh but yet, Grayson Rodriguez is still able to give you consistently five innings every single outing. Um, but yeah, with D.L. Hall, yeah, he's struggling. You see a lot of four-inning starts with him, uh, 4.1 inning starts with him. He, he's not, because he's still walking, you know, like 12, 13% of guys he faces. While I, I believe D.L. Hall leads the Orioles system in strikeout percentage, he's also got that enormously high walk rate as well. Uh, but with D.L. Hall also... The walk rates are extremely high, but he has like a 1.01 whip right? Uh, because guys aren't hitting the ball. He's producing about a 60-something percent ground ball rate so far this season. Uh, so, again, guys, opponents just aren't able to square baseballs off these guys and hit them in the air and drive them against these, these two arms. Right. The, the, the big two differences there, and, the, and you can see how this would play out over the course of five innings because it's about a 10-pitch difference. Uh, DL Hall is at 16.7 pitches per inning this year. And Rodriguez is under 15. So it's about a two-pitch difference uh, between the two. So over five five innings, that's going to be 10 pitches. And that's the difference between completing a start, completing a start, qualifying for a win and, and not. And if you look at D.L. Hall, despite, with all his greatness, he's got an 8-12 and 12 career minor league record that you know started off in a 2-7 and seven year where he had a 2-10 ERA in the Sally League. Um, even though he could pitch a fair number of innings, he just he just you don't get credit for you don't have an opportunity to win games without going five. Yeah, and with Hall, I mean the walks were just enormous. Mm-hmm. I think especially at the lower levels, and he would have those outings where when he gets hit, he's going to get hit hard, and they're going to drive him out of games pretty early. Uh, and that's something that he's definitely progressed this year. 
He's still not getting those five inning starts with Bowie, and now he's on the shelf. He's hurt, going to miss a couple of weeks, unfortunately. But this is someone who the walks are a little bit down, the strikeouts are up, ground ball rate is up. He he looks more confident on the mound. He, he the the off speed pitches is something that I've noticed too. That um, you know it, it's hard with some of these camera feeds, and I wish I could get to Bowie more often. Right. But some of these camera feeds, you know, they're not great for really analyzing pitchers and seeing exactly what they're doing. Yeah, you don't get but, the you know, Bowie feed with every with every yeah. station. Yeah, yeah, and Bowie's is kind of weird, weird angle, kind of grainy there. But you know, uh, Adam Pohl and Paul Fritcher, the two uh, announcers there, they do a really good job of saying, look, DL Hall is. He's throwing a lot of changeups this inning. We haven't seen that before, uh, so you can tell he, he's working on that. He's trying to get his secondaries uh, to be to be better pitches, a better command of those pitches, and it, it's been like a 50-50 split with him. Some starts still working for him, other starts he just doesn't have it. He has to go back to the fastball. Um, you see him get frustrated out there on the mound as well a couple of times, but he, he's he's putting it all together a little bit slower than Grace Rodriguez is. Uh, but it's it's slowly starting to come there for D.L. Hall, which is why it's so unfortunate that he's going to miss a couple of weeks right now, and I, this is a key moment for him. Right, right. Obviously, uh, I, I, let's talk about some of the other other pitchers on this. I mean, Hall has to drop on my list of prospects. Even any injury to a pitcher is serious. If he so he misses two weeks. You never know when that's going to end up being six weeks. You never know if he's going to be exactly the same guy when he gets back. You never know if he's going to re-injure himself. You know, there's just so many of pitching injuries end up being more dangerous situations down the road. And the Orioles obviously have, have, have taken a number of lottery tickets in terms of the pitchers they've taken out of the college ranks. But I think it makes a lot of sense that you want to you want to try and do that because you're going to have a lot of prospects that appear good that just are not going to work out. Yeah, a guy we like to reference on our show, Eric Longenhagen over at Fangraphs, does a lot of great prospect work. He actually, When he writes about D.L. Hall, he actually writes about him as this kind of late-inning reliever, kind of compares him to a Josh Hader, a guy that can come in. He might be better suited to throw one inning, the eighth or ninth inning, go throw 100 miles an hour with the wipeout slider and try to get those final three outs if he, can, if he continues to show that he can't get through five innings. And I think for right now, you want to keep stretching him out, see what he can do as a starter. But at least I think that is a good fallback option for D.L. Hall in the future. But yeah, this injury, it I don't want to say the word, the, the two words, you know, the injury that keeps guys out for 12 plus months. Uh, I don't want to say it, but it it's 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 scary. The thought that what if that's the case and, and D.L. Hall is out for another year at this point or or what if that injury continues to nag at him? What is his future going to hold at that point? Right. And, now, yeah, there's no evidence that this injury came from a pitching mechanics problem, is there? Because he has a very long. Uh, yeah. so, so describe that. Yeah, I mean it is it is very long, as you would say, uh, delivery. Very, I don't know if I'd say violent delivery, but there's a lot of energy in that delivery. There's a lot of moving parts there in his delivery as well. It seemed like the, the quote that they were, when they were talking about his injury, it was just he felt a, a little more soreness than normal after a start. And so there's no structural damage. There's nothing there. I think it was just a little uh, inflammation maybe in the elbow. Um, so we'll have to see. Maybe it's just, you know, he, he is a, a hardcore competitor. And there have been a couple of games, too, that I've noticed where it looks like maybe he's getting squeezed a little bit at the plate. Strike zone shrinks up a little bit. And... It, the emotions, he's not afraid to, to put his emotions on his sleeve and show that. 
and he rears back, and he's been throwing 93-94 for the last inning or two innings, and now he's a little upset. Now he's throwing 96-97 again on the radar gun. And so you're wondering, like, that's something else that does kind of scare me a little bit when you think about D.L. Hall and you watch him pitch. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, one of the things that Bill James always used to talk about is pitchers who mechanically threw their arm into their body. I remember that being something that Kelly Downs, a pitcher from the 90s, uh, 80s and 90s, really, really had a problem with and eventually got hurt. Um, it, that's not something you see for Hall? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I, I don't see it right now. I think it's a fairly yes, it's aggressive uh, motion, but it's it's smooth and it's a clean delivery as well. And he's got he's a thicker guy. He's gotten stronger. He's gotten a little bit bigger as well this year in in a good way. So I think it's all working for him. And maybe this is just I'm hoping this is just uh, he's back to being a competitor on the mound every five days, and, and his body's got to get used to that again. And We'll see. We'll see when he comes back on the mound. For right now, I'm just going to hold my breath. Okay, we're we're loving the thing. We're almost to an hour here, and we're just through. We're just through some of Double A. But uh, Kevin Smith, Ofelki Peralta, Blaine Knight, tell us some of the other guys that are that are pitching there. Who's a prospect in, among that group? Uh, Kevin Smith, for sure. This is the guy that the Orioles got for the New York Mets from Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. Um, not a high-velocity guy. He kind of fits that mold of Keegan Aiken, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells. He's that kind of guy, but uh, I like the strikeout ability more. Uh, I like his secondaries more. You know, Alexander Wells has the pinpoint control. Zach Lowther can hide the ball well. Uh, Kevin Smith does both things pretty well. The walks were a little high in Double A Bowie when he was down there, but he's got good command of his pitches. Great changeup, a great slider. It really looks like a frisbee mm-hmm. uh, coming to the, the home plate. Uh, this is a guy who I like uh, a lot. Um, has he has very few innings under his belt as well. 2019 Mets, New York Mets minor league pitcher of the year, college pitcher out of the University of Georgia, moving up pretty quickly. He's in AAA now, so it'll be fun to watch him. Peralta's interesting. He spent, you talk about progression, uh, he is anti-progression. I mean, it was four seasons between Delmarva and Frederick, but he's still only like 23. He might be 24, 24. now. He's 24, so yeah, a lot of time in the lower levels of the system, but you know, the Michael Elias regime came in, and Peralta was a guy who they kept, and they kept through 2020 uh, when they weren't playing, and now he's in Double A, and he's performing pretty well. A lot of strikeouts. Uh, they've been using him as a starter and reliever, but um, he's kind of risen a little bit this year for sure. Um, elsewhere, I don't know. I think honestly, a name that a lot of people could should pay attention to a little bit more as far as bullpen goes is Nick Vespi. This is an older guy. Uh, for sure, but Nick Vespi, they he was a starter in the lower levels of the minor. He's become a reliever now, and they were using him late in games, ninth inning, uh, trying to become Bowie's closer. A lot of strikeouts, same thing. Huge slider, big fastball, uh, big guy too, big competitor out there in the mound. But he unfortunately got hurt, and it's been four or five weeks now, and we haven't heard anything. So I don't know what's going on there. But if he can come back healthy, he's something. Left, and yeah, Blaine Knight, left-handed Go pitcher. Ahead. In the case of Vespi, mm-hmm. so they always give yes. some. He gets some consolation <laughs> points, some some forgiveness yeah. out of that. But on, on October 10th, he'll be 26, and he's pitching at Double A. Yeah. There's only so many setbacks, injury or otherwise, that you can really accept with any pitcher. Yeah, I mean for sure. And the longer he's out, the more I am worried about him for sure. Uh, but I, I do like that they moved him to the bullpen at least, and we'll see what he's got there um, if if he comes back this year. But Blaine Knight, 
Lane Knight's definitely interesting because this is a guy who he did not pitch well at all in Frederick in 2019. And someone who he's also like, I have to look up his height and weight. He turns sideways and he really disappears. He's a, he's a thin guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think 165 is honestly generous when you're talking about Blaine Knight. Um, but yeah, he can run that fastball up 95, 96 miles an hour. And he's having success. He pitched well in Aberdeen. They moved him up to double A. And, and same thing, just like Grayson Rodriguez, he's performing well. He's got uh, three outings, 15 innings, 15 strikeouts, and only two walks. Well, so. Enormous change for, from, mm-hmm. from last year, sorry, from 2019 mm-hmm. to 2021. In 20, 2019, he had 43 walks and 110 innings. This year, 31 strikeouts and three walks. I think we can live with that, 10 and a third to one in 33.2 innings. That's fabulous. And such a change. I mean, whip dropped from 1.3 to 0.83. So I look at a, a player like that immediately. It's like, what's going on? Why is this different? Uh, and I, what started clicking in terms of pitches for him? I mean, that's a good question. He's got the same repertoire. Everything looks largely the same. It's I know something they did with D.L. Hall. They the team mentioned that. They send a lot of these guys to down to Wake Forest, and they have this you know, their elaborate pitching laboratory down there. Uh, and a lot of MLB teams are actually looking to Wake Forest as uh, inspiration to build pitching mechanics and pitching labs. And the Orioles are utilizing that. And you see a lot of guys uh, sending them down to, to Wake Forest and some of these other bigger schools on the East Coast that are doing this. Um, Knight, I, I don't know, maybe it was just something about Frederick as well, something we've noted on our show a lot of guys that pitched in Frederick really struggled. Blaine Knight, Alexander Wells, uh, Zach Lothar was okay, but a guy like Brandon Hanafy, who just had Tommy John surgery this year, and he's out for the year. But um, a lot of these guys have really struggled in Frederick, and then they get promoted to Bowie, and they have really great seasons, really great turnaround seasons. So I don't know if it was just something going on in Frederick was it, that also no, played a role in this. Park or anything like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of home runs down there in Frederick. Uh, definitely a hitter-friendly park when, when the Orioles played there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're, we're actually going to have a, a big-time guest on our show coming up, someone from the Orioles organization, and Knight is, is on my list of, of guys that I want to ask about. Like, what are you guys doing differently, uh, specifically with these guys? If Whatever you can tell us, of course. But um, it's interesting because, yeah, I had completely written off Blaine Knight after that season in Frederick, and now he's a guy that I'm watching every single week. You know what's good about this last 40 <laughs> minutes is we talked about Bowie, and we had 40 minutes of discussion about, about the prospects at Bowie. And some guys who are on the margin of prospects and some guys who are among the best prospects in the entire major leagues. Major league, major leagues. And that is good good for me in terms of being an Orioles fan and really having something to look forward to. Um, let's, let's move on, though, to the high A Aberdeen now. And Aberdeen got a, got a nice promotion themselves going from the New York Penn League, which is really at the bottom of a, uh, other than the, the instructional league in Florida, it's really the bottom level of minor league baseball in 2019, to be the Orioles' new high A affiliate. Yeah, it, it's it's fun. I, I think for a lot, I know a lot of Orioles fans go to Aberdeen games frequently. It's it's closer uh, a little bit, and it, it's good for them, good for the organization. I know with their stadium, they had a couple stadium upgrades, and that was a big part of what kept some teams as affiliates and what got others cut. I think that was a big reason for Frederick. Attendance was great. I love going to Frederick games, but it seemed like their facilities were a little too outdated for Major League Baseball's taste, unfortunately, which is probably why they – they ended up being the booth there, but Aberdeen's good. And something else with Aberdeen going to high A from the New York Penn League is that a lot of these guys that are in Aberdeen right now 
they after the Orioles drafted them, they started their careers in Aberdeen. So now they're getting this Aberdeen to Aberdeen promotion. And so maybe that's there's comfort there in that stadium, on that mound, in front of fans they're familiar with again. They're the same. And so you, in some cases. Yeah. 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 You, housing is hopefully hopefully a little bit easier for some of these guys. And so I think it's paid off for a couple of these prospects. Yeah, we haven't really talked about that. Maybe maybe another show for that. But quickly through some of the mm-hmm. some of the high A guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of the guys who are not that important. Then we'll get to the good ones. Mundy and Stowers. I know Stowers is the 71st overall pick, so you may have him rated higher. Uh, Mundy is 23 years old, a first baseman with a with a nice high on base percentage. Yeah, I think Stowers is interesting. It's if you, depending on which list you look at, he's high on some top fifteen, and then others he's around thirty. Mm-hmm. Some outside the top thirty. The three of us on our show disagree on Stowers. I think for sure, some of us are much lower than others. But huge strikeout numbers. I think he leads the the Orioles among qualified hitters this year. I think he has the highest strikeout rate among them all. But he does have a big power bat. We had Eric Long and Hagan on our show, and I asked him about Stowers. I said, "What else?" What is there to like about Kyle Stowers other than that just massive swing that he has? And Logan Hagen said that's that's about it. That's what he likes with him. And the rest is hard to project with him. But um, J.D. Mundy is definitely interesting because he was an undrafted free agent after the 2020 draft. He's out of Radford, started his career at Virginia Tech, and then finished his career collegiate career at Radford. So a guy that you he would have been drafted if the we didn't have just a five-round draft in 2020, but he would have been one of those senior signed draft picks. I imagine him being a guy who got sent to Delmarva, hit like 210 with you know 50 strikeouts in his first 30 games, and that was about it. But this guy has, I think, 11 or 12 home runs between the two levels, huge on-base numbers. He's driving the ball to all parts of the field. It's suddenly, is J.D. Mundy a guy that Orioles fans – should start watching. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Stowers, I want to go back to for a second because he's got a high walk total this year, and they have batted him all over the lineup, including the leadoff, which was surprising to me. You know, just to get a guy who can get on base some, but he's got a 404 on base percentage and, and almost a 500 slugging at this point. Uh, it, it's it's hard to ignore. You did spend draft capital on the guy, although. Major League draft capital is not the same as NFL draft capital in terms of you know people who listen to both of these shows. Uh, it's it's surprising to me that you wouldn't push a guy like that at 23. Maybe if you didn't believe in him, even to go to a higher level. Yeah, I think that's a tough one for sure. I mean, he's he's in Bowie now, so he's he's going to be 23 for this full season. Well, looking they, at his they birthday. Yeah, they did. They did just move him up to Bowie this weekend. Okay. So. Uh, I think he's taking Yusniel Diaz's spot, so it's so Diaz back at AAA then. We'll see, or her. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He he's back in AAA. Um, we'll we'll see how long he stays healthy until he's hurt again, unfortunately. But yeah, Stowers they just moved up, which is is interesting. Um, the strikeout numbers do scare me though, so I'm curious to see now that he's going to face AA pitching. Is he going to be still be able to continue to get on base? That's going to be the big thing with him. Yeah, I mean if. A guy that age, and I'm going to go back to the other the comment I made, who's striking out over 40% of the time, 55 and 131 at bats. If you can hit 275 doing that, I say that's an opportunity. That's something to be pressed and celebrated and see if it could be improved upon. Uh, you know, he's, he's, it's not hurting his on-base percentage to be striking out all that much. So the real question comes down to how much additional value can get, get out of putting more balls in play as he cuts that strikeout rate. And at 23, he's got some cut left. 
Yeah, and he plays good defense, too. He's got a strong arm out there, and they've been playing him at all three positions there. Michael Elias loves these, these versatile-type players out there. And so, yeah, I think as long as he can adjust well to double-A hitting and continue to put the ball in play, like you mentioned, this is, is definitely a guy who could find a home at some point. We'll have to see how he, he adjusts now that he's been promoted again. I'm glad to hear he got promoted. I, I had not heard that yet. And I'm always I'm always going to be a couple days behind you, I'm sure, Nick. Um, Jordan Westberg now, he's still at, <laughs> at uh, Athens, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, he, he was on fire in Delmarva. Him and Gunnar Henderson down there together, just a fantastic duo. Uh, he's struggled. He came out of the gate slow when they promoted him to Aberdeen, but he's been on, on fire recently. Uh, a couple, he finally got his first high A home run, which is nice to see. I know coming out of the draft, I mean, he was a, I think, 32nd or 33rd overall pick in the draft last year. And people who are more draft experts than I, than I am, I wish I could follow more college baseball, but just it's, it's way too much. Um, they believe that the Orioles, Westbrook kind of fell into the Orioles' lap at 32, 33, and that he should have been selected a lot higher. But the thing was, can he hit for power? Uh, and I've kind of compared him to like a, a I think he could be a, a, a Jonathan Scope-esque type player. Maybe not a super high average, but he's going to hit you 20, 25 home runs as a second baseman, which I think is pretty good uh, if, you think if they move him to second base. I think a lot of people believe that's probably where he'll end up, but he's played a lot of shortstop and a lot of third base, and he's looked pretty decent over there so far. So I think it just depends on where all this shakes up. Where did the, what do they do with Gunner? What do they do with, uh, you know, does Joey Ortiz stick? Um got a lot to, to separate themselves there but I think consensus seems to be among people a lot smarter than me that he probably ends up at second base okay that's that's interesting we, we got to see Gunnar at Delmarva last week and you, you a lot of things about Gunnar do not exactly look like a shortstop he's not particularly fluid he's you know he's made some errors obviously there at, at high a but he does have a great arm so it kind of reminds me of Ripken as being a, a tall guy big arm uh, you know it doesn't necessarily get way into the hole or or, 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 or great up the middle not terrific range um, but you know Basically, Gunnar Henderson now just promoted to to a, a you know advanced day is there for his bat. Yeah, definitely. There's nothing more he could prove at Delmarva, the low A level with the bat. Even if he has 19, I think he turns 20 in like a week or so. That's right. Uh, but he's still a very young kid. And yeah, the the defense we always put out. You know, the Gunner highlights. People love the Gunner highlights. They love to watch that bat. Opposite field power. That that's all he seems to do. Most of his home runs to the opposite field. Uh, and you see guys like Grayson Rodriguez say, look, I played at that ballpark in Delmarva. Guys don't hit home runs there, but Gunnar Henderson does. Um, and a lot of people always ask us, how's his defense? How's his defense? That's, anytime we put a Jabai Jones clip or a Gunnar Henderson clip, it's how's the defense? And I, I did notice the arm is strong, but it's not always very accurate. Mm -hmm. And I have started watching the defense a little bit more and agree completely with you. He's not extremely fluid out there on the left side of the infield so we'll see where he ends up but the bat is the bat is really really good strikeouts a little bit of a problem mm -hmm. but again he's only 19 so lots of chance we'll see what he does against the strikeout rate because yeah. he's hitting over 300 yeah. with a ton of strikeouts i say the more yeah. the merrier uh, so, i mean yeah, yeah it's a, that will be cut uh he's almost a legend at uh in the low minors in terms of what he was doing at delmarva uh there obviously they're going to move him up he'll probably have some initial adjustments that, that will will be something but uh you know might be the most exciting prospect in terms of what we don't know yet in the in the entire mm -hmm. minor league system a high school draft pick uh like we mentioned still doesn't turn 20 for a week and uh 
and still ex very exciting in terms of one of the guys I want to see what he did every night is Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, and it's, this is a guy who he got to play a little bit in the Gulf Coast League right after they drafted him. And then in the shutdown, you read a lot of reports coming out of the alternate site camp that he was going up against Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall as an 18-year-old at that point. And yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was that great at the beginning, according to reports. I, I wish we could have been there and got more access, but pretty tight-lipped last year. But it seemed like he really struggled at the beginning. But by the end of camp, they said, you know, they had Brandon Hyde there. They had other AAA managers there watching Gunner, And they were all really impressed with how he was handling himself against you know, guys like Brandon Klein, who was with the Orioles organization for the last couple of years, going against, you know, 4A type relievers like that. Even though they're 4A guys, you know, if you're Gunnar Henderson as an 18-year-old kid, that that's that's a big gap, I, I think, mm -hmm. uh, as far as experience goes. And he appeared to be handling his business up there against those guys at the alt site. So it, it seems to have paid off because he he just destroyed Delmarva pitching. It was nothing left to prove down there. One one more thing I needed to ask you about. Uh, you mentioned a lot of off-field home runs. I had seen a couple. Rushman's had some too. But uh, you know, one thing I really notice in watching him is the exceptional bat speed. He doesn't always look that great on when he's striking out, but you know, he brings the bat right through the zone very quickly, particularly when it's on the inside half. Now I know a lot of hitters can do that. When we were there, and it's just one hit, of course, uh, he smoked a double in the 3-4 hole, which is pretty unusual. But he got it by the first baseman, put it, put it basically down the down the right field line on the second base side, um, and and it went for a double. Good speed too, even though he doesn't have good range really at uh, at shortstop. I'd say you know plus speed guy. Yeah, and one other thing I've noticed too, on top of all of that, is I think he really knows that strike zone pretty well, and it seems kind of, maybe kind of weird to say with the guy strikes out so much, maybe he doesn't have great command of strike zone. But I think he does. And I noticed something very early on in those early games of the season is that, you know, he was getting some calls, uh, maybe not going his way. And he was not afraid to kind of not show up the umpire, but turn around and really question these calls. And he's going to come up in that next at bat and smoke a home run or smoke a double, because I think he just has such great awareness of that strike zone. And he's such a, a high IQ hitter. He also knows what, what pitch is coming, it seems like, a lot of the times. And, and he's ready. He's prepared in that box. And, and I do think the strikeouts are going to get cut, like you mentioned. And, and this is, yeah, I mean, as far as hitting, you got Ali Rutschman at the top. And then it's Gunnar Henderson. And these two guys are, Orioles fans can feel confident these two guys are going to rise pretty quickly, I think, through the minor league system. Right. I, I do want to see Henderson in particular draw more walks. He's got 14 and 141, which is which is okay. But they pitched around him a lot because he's you know the most dangerous hitter in that league, pretty much. Uh, you know, with his uh, what 10.38? No, only 9.44. Only 9.44 as an OPS only at 19. You know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's see. Who do we want to talk about otherwise at the? Um, Aberdeen level. So we talked a little bit about Westberg at Henderson. How about the pitchers, Brnovich and Rahm and Stallings? Yeah, uh, Brnovich is actually a guy that also just got promoted uh, with Cal uh, Stowers. He's going up to Bowie, which is interesting because this is his first year of competition. He was a 2019 draft pick. Uh, out of Elon for the Angels and Angels don't like to throw their pitchers uh, after their college season they shut them down so he didn't pitch in 2019 after he was drafted didn't get to pitch in 2020 this is his first year handful of starts in high A 
and now he's going to start this week in double A, but he doesn't walk guys. He had one bad outing where he did walk five guys, and that was one of his more recent outings, but he has one of the highest strikeout totals. I think if you look at starting pitchers in this system, DL Hall, Grayson Rodriguez have the top two highest strikeout percentages, and then Kyle Burnovich is right there, number three, right behind him. Um, yeah, four, you, you hear the four and a third innings, so that's, yeah. that's terrific. Only allowed opponents mm-hmm. a 144 average at, at Aberdeen, so yeah. it may just be a case of they didn't really feel like there was a lot left to prove. Yeah. Yeah, and you hear the term like projectable a lot with you know pitching prospects and prospects in general. He's not really projectable, I'd say. He kind of is who he is. Uh, he was an advanced college arm out of the CAA in Elon, uh, but was performing particularly well down there at Elon. Um, the fastball velocity is upper 90s. Uh, sorry, upper 80s, not upper 90s, upper 80s. It is what it is, I think, with Brnovich, but he has this huge curveball that just guys just can't score up, they can't hit. So he's definitely an interesting guy. That And one of the four guys that the Orioles got in that Dylan Bundy trade, and, and all four seem to be pitching fairly well so far. Stallings, anything to say about him? Uh, started out really hot. This was the guy, another guy they got back from the Angels. This was the Jose Iglesias return. I know a lot of Orioles fans are scratching their head, wondering what, what's going on there. But um, this is also his debut as well because, again, Angels draft pick, they didn't pitch him. He's out of Tennessee, so they, let, they shut him down in 2019. He doesn't walk guys at all. That's been his M.O. throughout college. Um, He's a Chesapeake kid down by my way where I grew up, so in Virginia. So I, I'm familiar with some of his high school work as well. Didn't walk a lot of guys down there either. But he's been struggling lately, um, giving up a lot of home runs. A lot of hits. Um, ab- yeah, a lot of hits. A lot of hits over the fence. Uh, his last couple starts haven't been on MILB TV, so I haven't been able to watch those and see what exactly is going on. But I'm starting to get a little concerned about some of those numbers that he's been putting up lately. Nine, nine homers allowed in 35 innings this year, so that's, uh, that's yeah. in Ken Dixon territory. So uh, not where you want to be. Uh, anybody else at, at the Aberdeen level we want to talk about here? Uh, I guess the other name I would throw out there is Drew Rahm, mm-hmm. uh, left-handed pitching prospect. He's still in Aberdeen, hadn't gotten promoted yet, but... Uh, a lot of strikeouts, 40 strikeouts in 36 and two-thirds innings, perfect 4-0 record. I think his last couple outings have been a little hit or miss there, but he's been dominant throughout the first part of the season and a guy that's a young pick. He was drafted at a high school out of Kentucky, I believe. So I think he's still only 21 years old uh, pitching in high A. That's right. A, a lot of guys have said this is a guy who you want to see more fastball velocity. He's a lefty, throws in the lower 90s, and the velocity isn't coming. It's stayed in the lower 90s. But uh, with those off-speed pitches that he has, he just like D.L. Hall and a lot of these other guys, a lot of ground balls, a lot of weak contact. So he's definitely someone to pay attention to, and, and we'll see if he gets promoted sometime soon, which I, I think he should. Okay. All right, so Aberdeen definitely uh, more in the way probably – they probably have less in the way of prospects than just about any level. The Delmarva one we'll get to in yeah. a second. Uh, you know, I, there may have been some additional promotions, and you'll inform me about this because you, t- you told me about two tonight already that I didn't know about. But let's move on to Delmarva. Uh, the guy I'm really excited about is Daryl Hernays, who's still there, who will be 20 <laughs> on August 3rd, a fifth-round pick in 2019. Has not really put it together numbers-wise, but you watch him, and he knows what he's doing at the plate. I mean, I, I was impressed by him and just his demeanor at the plate uh, seeing him last week. Yeah, another young teenage prospect, too, and a guy who, you look at this system, he's probably, I don't know, he'd probably rank ninth or 10th. Mm-hmm. If you're making a list of top middle infield guys, 
he's barely cracking the top 10. But like you mentioned, he's definitely a guy to watch and pay attention to. I want to say he just snapped the streak. But at one point up until this weekend, he got on base in 26 or 27 straight games. Um, and even in the game where he snapped a streak, he reached first base on a drop third strike. Uh, used the wheels and got home base, uh, but that unfortunately doesn't count as far as a going base street continuing. But yeah, guy can play a couple different positions down the field. They play him a lot at second base. Good glove. Um, he also wears uh, standard glasses. He's not wearing sports goggles. It's just a weird quirk that that I like. He wears just normal eyeglasses. Then you see him get on base and he hands them off to the, the third base coach. It's it's unique in that way. Something that stands out about him a little bit. I think it, at some point they might get him to change that. Uh, Hudson yeah. Haskin, a guy's 39th overall pick, uh, be 23 on New Year's Eve. So he's 22 now, playing at Del Marvin. Not the ideal age combination, of course. You know, as a college pick, we wait. Yeah, and real. F- Real funky at bat too. The, his stance is kind of weird. I know a lot of Hunter Pence comps get thrown mm-hmm. around at him, and but you know it, it worked for Hunter Pence. And I think I, I've read where some people say you got to change his mechanics, you got to change that swing up a little bit and see what you can get because a lot of people do like him as a potential five-tool type prospect. But other people are, are saying like, hey, like keep it. It's worked for him up to this point. So so, so keep that stance and. He did get hurt for a little bit. He missed a couple of games. I think he got hit by a pitch that knocked him out for about a week or so. Uh, but he gets on base. He's shown a little bit of power. Um, you know, he's a guy, I, th- I like what you said, just wait. I think he's a guy that some people might have been surprised he didn't get promoted. Delmarva, they promoted a few of their other outfielders from Delmarva. Dylan Harris and Trevor Key got promoted. Really? Guys that, yeah, if you look at their numbers, you might say why. Um I don't think they got promoted because of you know their performance necessarily, probably just to help fill out Aberdeen's roster. But Hudson Haskin is the second overall pick out of Tulane. So this is a guy who the Orioles were heavily invested in. I remember this pick specifically because there were a couple SEC pitchers sitting there that I thought for sure Michael Ash was going to bring in. And then they go outfielder, Hudson Haskin out of Tulane. Just second, um, second round pick, 39th overall, not second round. second overall yeah. pick. Yeah, yeah sorry. sorry, second round pick. But... Yeah, he's interesting, and he plays center field, and the defense there has also been a little iffy at, at times. So I think this is a guy who's just adjusting to higher-level competition right now, but we'll see if he gets on a hot stretch. I think he's going to need a hot stretch over the next couple of weeks to get in that conversation again. All right, so the draft will be next month, and there'll be obviously a lot of new players and uh, some opportunity, and so I really see some people going to get cut too. But are a lot of the college draft picks going to be immediately put at Delmarva, or do you think they'll start in these draft leagues? Yeah, so I think if you are participating in one of the draft leagues already, I think Major League Baseball set up where you can finish out that season. So you can finish out the summer there and maybe just join the team in fall instructs in September, October down at spring training sites. But I think if you look at some of these college bats that the Orioles are probably going to target in college pitchers, you know, Michael Elias loves the college bats at the top of the draft. I think you're definitely going to see these guys start at Delmarva, you know, it seemed like going into this year, the organization had preached patience with a lot of these prospects and not willing to promote them until they had fully graduated, as Michael I said, from each level. But I think with some of their promotions, uh, that philosophy is changing a, a little bit. They're more comfortable with being aggressive with guys. And you know, with Heston Kerstad not, probably not taking the field this year as well, I think you see these college guys just go straight to Delmarva. You, you bring up a really interesting player that obviously a lot of Oriole fans want to know what the hell is going on with mm-hmm. him. But uh, what's what's the current story with Kerstad? 
Yeah, it seemed like, so it was myocarditis, so the heart inflammation. They didn't say what exactly caused that, but I mean, you know, the last 15 months we've been living through, it's, you know, we can all make assumptions there, but um, you know, nothing definite. And we haven't heard from Kershaw himself either through this whole time, uh, which is, is, is a little weird, but um, he was healthy, cleared, and they had him down in Sarasota, and the reports were he's going to start working out and hopefully play with Delmarva in the next couple of weeks. He's on Delmarva's roster now, which is... He was just added a couple weeks ago. He's on the IL, of course, but he's on Delmarva's roster, so it seemed like he would start playing some games, hopefully by the end of the year. But now that this new report is that they've shelved him again because the heart inflammation is back, and it, mm-hmm. they say it doesn't sound serious. I mean, it is serious. Oh. It's your heart with a young kid, <laughs> but not like this isn't like career-ending right now. Yeah. They think that a little bit more rest, looking at this a little bit more, and they still think that he can play some games by the end of the year, but. You're talking about a 22-year-old guy's heart, so we'll have to see. Yeah, obviously, uh, nothing to take chances with. Now, I'm going to apologize for this in advance just in case this is already on the recording because we had a cutout of the recording, but Anthony Cervideo is a guy I wanted to talk to you about in terms of his astounding walk total uh, at, at Del Marva. Now, he has not yet been promoted, correct? He's hurt right now, I think, yep. if, if I'm correct. But 28 walks in 61 at-bats. Of course, there's 61 at-bats. So he's hitting 246, but with a 489 on base percentage. And if you remember the 1982 stretch drive like I do, and, and very fondly, uh, the way the Orioles almost chased down the Brewers and lost in the final day of the season, Glenn Gulliver being inserted at third base, hitting 200 and drawing a bajillion walks was one of the things that really helped the the uh, the Orioles down that stretch drive. Yeah, this is this is a guy. I think for you talking about walks early on in, in the show, um, Servideo does it better than anybody. He led all of minor league baseball in walks for for a long time there, and he, he does have the Orioles connect co- Orioles connection. Sorry, I think he's a uh, Kurt Blue Fairy's uh, grandson, yeah. great grandson. Um, He's fun. He's a defensive-minded shortstop. He's got a great glove. I think reports after the draft said you could probably stick him in double-A, triple-A, and he'd be in the major leagues before too much longer, just from a defensive perspective. But the bat, he doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, We'll see how much average he hits for, but he gets on base. He gets on base at an extremely high clip. He's a very patient hitter. It is just, it's weird, especially in this day and age of baseball. It's, it's, he stands out, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. A left-handed bat, he's going to get some mm-hmm. uh, some leeway in terms of things. Uh, he's a college draft pick, and you know they drafted a number. They drafted him in the third mm-hmm. round. The Orioles obviously do believe in this guy. Yeah, and some a lot of people seem pretty high. That the draft guys and, and people out there seem high on the bat. Is same with Jordan Westberg. There are a lot of reports that say the potential is there for him to do you know A, B, and C. We just haven't seen it yet, which is scary. Like I, I want to see these guys do this at least, mm-hmm. but. Servideo had good experience in college summer leagues and high-profile summer leagues with wooden bats, so the Orioles are confident there. I feel like they know he can he can hit the ball well. It's just a matter of can he do it in games. And he was at, in college, before the shutdown in, in 2020, he was swinging an extremely hot bat, so maybe that bat was starting to come around a little bit. But this is definitely a guy you want to keep your eye on because, and I've heard uh, other people say that he's, he's a... It might be he might be tiptoeing the line a little bit, but there's a lot of cockiness with this guy out there in the field. Uh, he's very confident in himself and his abilities, so we'll see how much that helps or hurts him. But guy's just an on-base machine at this point. I'm just going to throw out the three pitching names who look like maybe 
to me at Delmarva. But uh, you, you, you're familiar in on what they've got in terms of pitch repertoire and whatnot. Ignacio Feliz, uh, who's 22, Adam Stouffer, 22, and Shelton Perkins, who's 22, who came in. And, and it looks like they're using him as their closer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with Stouffer, let's start with him because we've talked about him a lot on our show, too. This is a guy with a lot of lower-level minor league experience. He was a starter uh, for the last couple of years as well. Very tall guy, big fastball, big curveball as well. Uh, I think you kind of view him maybe as put him in the back end of your bullpen as a fastball, curveball guy. I don't know what he's still doing in Delmarva. He should be up in, in Aberdeen. Uh, he should be in close to Bowie, I think, personally at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a guy worth watching. Ignacio Feliz, we talked about him tonight on our show. Um, he is a third-round pick in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft in December of 2020. So I mean, you're not not the regular Rule Five draft, the minor league phase of the Rule Five draft, and the third player selected there. Um, and he was also a shortstop coming up. I think with the Indians, he was a shortstop. Then he went to the Padres, and they moved him, switched him to a pitcher. Um, fastball velo is not really high, upper 80s, low 90s, but big curveball as well, big slider. Um, guys are struggling to hit the ball against him so far. That's a, a wait and see as well. Um, he does walk a lot of guys, mm. but he's confident out there in the mound. Uh, he's not afraid to show a little bit of emotion, and the numbers just kind of speak for themselves so far. Sheldon Perkins, I'm very familiar with. Uh, went to college with him. I remember he transferred. He was a, an East Carolina commit. Transferred. I went to James Madison University, so he transferred there. Uh, I remember they do a, to close out fall practices. They do a purple and gold World Series, a couple of games, inter, uh, inter-squad scrimmages. And I remember the first time he came in on the mound. I'm there because I used to just do side blogging, write about this team because no one was talking about these kids. Um, and I'm there with my little notepad, pretending like I know what I'm doing. And, and I circled his name and I said, "This is a dude. This is a guy." And he's been one of the top pitchers in James Madison University history. Uh, one of four guys in that pitching staff that got drafted that year. I don't know what he's doing in Delmarva still either. He has some of the best off-speed stuff in this entire system. Um, not just saying that because I know the guy and I love the guy, but 18 strikeouts to just two walks in 14 innings so far this year. I mean, that is a guy who I don't know. Seven if, hits. Yeah. Low batting average against. It's it's good numbers. And I don't know if you view him as like a closer as he moves up the system maybe. The fastball velocity is not really there, but mm-hmm. this guy is hard to hit. So this is definitely a reliever that I think could move up much more quickly than the Orioles are, are currently Ph- moving about. Velocity, just mm-hmm. for a second here. He's a low 90s guy? Yeah. Perkin, all three of these. Well, Stauffer can get into the 95, 96s. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Feliz and Shelton Perkins are both kind of, they're going to hit low 90s for most of their outings. Okay. So if, if you were talking about the top end for Perkins right now, would you say he could be a one-inning guy at the major league level? Maybe he's your seventh-inning guy or your eighth-inning yeah. guy? Yeah, I think that's a perfect comparison. In college, they would usually bring him in Friday nights, try to close out the last three, sometimes four innings of the game. But I definitely view him high leverage situations. We'll see as he moves up to the system, but I definitely, I like that the seventh inning role, one inning guy for sure. I think that definitely would work for him. All right. Uh, just outstanding having you on. I mean, this has been a wonderful encyclopedic run through a lot of these uh, guys. Let's just go real quick and talk about your top five. I, I have a top five ready to go to uh, in terms of prospects. I think it's going to be pretty similar. Um, start at number five for you. Uh, number five, let me pull up. I actually have my personal list here. 
Uh, we're going to be updating ours soon here, hopefully. Um, see ryan mountcastle has graduated off these done uh but yeah number five i've got heston kirstad as my number five guy high floor big power we haven't seen it yet but a healthy heston kirstad i have at number five okay that's a that's a, a leap of faith i wasn't willing to make i have dl <laughs> hall at number five uh obviously with you know i'm very concerned about the current injury he would have been higher before this but uh, uh still a top prospect in my opinion who's number four yeah uh, number four, I've got Gunner. I think he's, I would, honestly, when we re-rank ours, I think he's going to jump up a couple spots. And so I could definitely see him jumping the guy I have next for sure. Uh, but with that bat, it's it's a special bat. I honestly believe it. Okay, I, I agree. And my number four guy is Jordan Westberg. I wonder if we're going to flip-flop on the three, four guys here. But uh, who's your number three? No, my number three, actually, I have D.L. Hall right now on... Um, uh, Westberg is Westberg is another guy who is going to make a big big jump. I think this Westberg is probably going to end up being a top 100 overall prospect soon. I think uh, I think he's in the conversation already for sure. But yeah, I, I just a lefty that can throw 99, 98 miles an hour. Um, if DL Hall can stay healthy, I, I like it. It's there's there's a wide range of outcomes with DL Hall though. Yes, he could be a, a number three starter at the major league level. Or this could be it for him in, in Double A Bowie right now. Wide range of outcomes, and it's it's scary to to put a lot of your trust and faith in a guy like that for sure. Yeah, I mean, we got we were really excited with Mike Bauman last year, and yeah. you know he hasn't done much this year, and uh, and that's unfortunate. It looks like he might be turning it around. So you have you have Hall at number three. I have Henderson yes. at number three. Uh, love the power bat. He's one of the players you really look when you when you have MILB. That's the that's one of the guys you want to check mm -hmm. on. What's he done tonight? Exactly. Uh, my number two, I, I got Grayson Rodriguez at number two. Um, top pitching prospect in all of baseball. I mean, like, like we said, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about the guy except he's a special, special talent. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and the only reason he really isn't number one for me is the, the Orioles are, are loaded up with a couple of guys here. And I'm sure we have the same number one guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Adley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Adley. Yeah. Right, we, if... Here's one thing I like to do to get way ahead of ourselves. A player with the talent of Adley comes to the major league level, and he's going to get there a little bit late because just of who the Orioles are. Are you, you don't have to be comfortable with it, but if your gun is to your head, what's the percentage chance you give him to make the Hall of Fame? Ooh, Hall of Fame. It's uh, a really good question. Uh, if I have to pick a percentage, maybe I'm buying into the hype a little bit. Um, I mean, I'd put it probably 70% sticks out to me. Seven? I'd, I'd put about 70% chance. Okay, so I, I, I think there are a lot of a lot of bumps in the road that are possible, but I oh, think yeah. it's like 30%. I would get, I'd yeah. even entering. The number of great catchers in the history of Major League Baseball, very limited. Uh, you know, Bill yeah. James made the point there was like a, a Kansas City catcher, McFarland, does that sound right? His, yeah, I, I think yeah. that was the guy's name. He, he caught for them in the 80s and 90s. And, and he said, you know, he's one of the top 50 catchers of all times. And he did the work in the historical abstract. And at that time, I think he was the 56th greatest catcher of all time. It's just there aren't a lot of great catchers in the history of this game. And and Rutschman has a chance, certainly, to be one of those guys. Whether I, I, I love your number. I hope it's right. <laughs> but I did think Matt Wieters also had about a 30% chance when he got here. And he ended up being yeah. 70 yeah. yeah, I mean, if if you can go on a, a solid stretch, uh, I think maybe 
five, six years, maybe seven years, if you can be really hot and, and be at the top of your game, I think maybe that gets him in. And maybe at that point, too, he probably converts to first base and maybe sticks around a little bit longer in the league. Um, Orioles are doing a good job right now of not catching him every single day. He's the only player in this whole system that has played in every single game, but he's not catching a lot. It's a lot of splits, a lot of DH, a lot of first base. Um, I was watching one of the away broadcasts, and they called him the top first base prospect in the Orioles system. And I'm like, no, he's, he's not. He's a catchy prospect. They're just trying to save his knees. Um, I really, I just want to believe that he is that special of a prospect that he's been hyped up to be. And, and yeah. it's when you watch this major league product, I want it to be, I want it to work out even more. Yeah, yeah, very, very uh, exciting possibility. Now, I, I'll give you one more question, then we'll go, then we'll call it. Um, the Orioles have had uh, obviously a rotating willingness to trade their prospects, and you know, before the injury, I thought John Means was going to fall victim to the same thing. Unfortunately, now he might not have trade value. Mancini could be the next big name to get traded. Um, you know, they have other guys in the lineup who could have had more value, but it appears some of that, like Santander, is not really there anymore. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking at this team five years from now, do you think that they'll recover to be the kind of franchise they appeared to be in the 90s when they led the major leagues in attendance and had the ability to generate revenue that would allow them to compete with the big money teams? Do you think they're going to be a team that keeps their stars as opposed to ends up being a Tampa Bay small market team? I do think so. Uh, I think that... When you look at this this rebuild process and whether you agree with how it's going or not, and there's certainly some things that could have been done way differently. Uh, I will fully agree with that. But he's, Mike Elias and the, this organization started literally from the bottom, like building batting cages in the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. uh, and building this analytics department and everything. You're seeing million-dollar bonuses being signed out to international guys. You've seen this farm system consistently climb. I, I always view, because I, I watch a lot of San Diego Padres baseball, for whatever reason, a lot of late nights, you know, mm-hmm. kid, just had a kid about two years ago, and I haven't switched that, that uh, sleep schedule, to be totally honest at this point. Mm-hmm. A lot of late nights watching the Padres, and one thing is that they did was they just stockpiled this farm system. Yeah, you might have three of your top ten prospects or shortstops. With our first-round pick, we're going to take another shortstop because we like this guy, mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. They come up through the system, you start trading these guys. Last year, they traded away most of their top prospects and got Mike Clevenger, they got Blake Snell, they're getting you Darvish, they got all these guys. I, I, my, I want to believe that the Orioles are trending that way. Right? You stockpile the system first, it's hard to watch, it's gonna take time, but give it, it may be this offseason, I don't know. There's a huge shortstop class of free agents. Um, does Michael Elias decide this is the year we finally bring in that one big free agent? Padres started with Eric Hosmer, and I know Eric Hosmer, he is who he is, but it started with Hosmer, and then more of their top prospects, Tatis and such, came up, started uh, performing well at the major league level, and then they go and grab Machado and start making more trades. And I like to think that the Orioles are on that path. Yeah, I, it, it'd be great to see the organization go back to being run that way. I am afraid that the, the reassignment of mass and money has changed yeah. the economics of what they can do as a, as a mid-market team. But, you know, it was nice that, that the Orioles aligned themselves with the large market teams in the way they were, who they were at the table with in the 90s. That was a nice thing just to, just to see that. But, uh, but anyway... Tremendous pleasure having you on, Nick. Thank you so much for doing this. Tell people again one more time where they can find your work, uh, where they can listen to you regularly, and your Twitter handle. 
Yeah, you can follow me at Nick Stevens R. A lot of Baltimore Orioles, JMU stuff. Uh, you can follow the show at BSL on the Verge. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, anywhere you listen to this show. We're sure we're on that platform as well. Uh, come, to, It's all minor league baseball. We love talking about it. You can also find us at BaltimoreSportsLife.com. Find us there. Okay, highly recommend mm-hmm. that. Also recommend bsl.com as a site to go. Uh, talk Ravens, talk Orioles on, mm-hmm. on that site. It's a it's a good community, and there's some really good uh, analytic uh, people on that site that I really like uh, interacting with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, a pl- pleasure having you on. Yep, thank you for having me. And <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on <laughs> thank Film you. Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.